BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. My TV has been doing this weird thing where it just turns back on after I go to sleep. Oh, mine does that too. And I'm like, wake up, like it's so bright. Yeah, why is the TV on? Why am I looking at pictures of Sri Lanka? Do you have that from Xfinity? It just has <laughs> yeah, totally. like random totally. holiday pictures. Like, oh, I want to go there. This is Political Breakdown from KQED in San Francisco. I'm Scott Schaefer. Today on The Breakdown, what's in a name? A Chinese name, that is. For years, politicians running for office in San Francisco have been allowed to have chosen names with Chinese characters on the ballot, whether or not they are Chinese. At times, the names have nothing at all to do with their actual name in English, instead using characters that suggest the candidate has attributes like power or virtue or fighter. Well, after years of letting it go, the San Francisco Department of Elections started cracking down on over-the-top names, rejecting more than two dozen of those submitted by candidates, and as you can imagine, it's created a San Francisco-style dust-up. We'll talk with a reporter covering that in just a minute, but first, Marisa Lagos is here with me. And Marisa, first of all, hey. hi. Hi. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. So, um... We're finally like in the home stretch before the election. I never thought we'd get to say that. Tuesday's the election. And the, the big story seems to be turnout, which is incredibly low at this point. And that's having an impact on everything that appears to be on the ballot. Yeah, I mean, we have to wait and see who actually turns in their ballot by Tuesday, who, who might show up. Um, but clearly there has been, I think, some progress made by Republicans who, you know, really had to go back to their voters and say, no, actually, we do want you to vote by mail. We do want you to vote early. So looking at the numbers from uh, PDI Inc., which is our friend Paul Mitchell's uh, political data tracking firm, only about 11 percent of ballots have been sent back two county registrars so far. And yeah, in general, we're seeing older voters, whiter voters, and Republicans kind of disproportionately outpace other more let's call it what it is, progressive-leaning groups. And so if this trend holds, and again, there's time. I haven't turned in my ballot yet. You know, like, there's probably a lot of people who are waiting. Um, it's not a super exciting election in a lot of ways, but it could be good news for more conservative causes and candidates. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, talking about the, the Senate race, I mean, that would be Steve Garvey, the Republican, Adam Schiff. They are doing much better than Katie Porter, Barbara Lee with younger voters uh, and non-white voters. And so in that poll this week from Berkeley IGS, uh, it shows Steve Garvey, the Republican, with 27 percent. This is for the six-year term. We won't even get into the short yeah, term. That's too, we don't have time. Yeah, we won't talk about that. And then Adam Schiff, 25 percent, essentially tied. Statistical tie, yeah. yeah. And then Katie Porter in third with 19 and Barbara Lee at 8 percent. 
And so, uh, you know, and the thing is, of course, Lee and Porter both do best with younger voters. And so for some reason, they are not have they have not yet voted. They have not turned in their ballots, which, you know, as you said, they still have until Tuesday to vote. But uh, and you have to wonder why. Is it just a lack of interest? Is it the Gaza Israel war that's turning them off to politics generally? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that uh, maybe there'll be some exit polls, maybe not. I do think that one seems like it would probably be more impactful in, say, the presidential race in terms of suppressing vote and like making people just say, I don't want to come out. But I mean, my guess would be they're just not very excited because this is a presidential primary year with two pretty unpopular sort of you know, it's a rematch of something we've already seen. And so I just don't know that in the, this really short stretch between the holidays and this election that people have really tuned in. One interesting thing in that poll, they did a hypothetical matchups for November and Schiff versus Garvey. Schiff is well ahead by, I think, 15 points. But if it's Schiff and Porter, it's 30 each and 40 percent undecided. That would be quite you. a race. That would be an interesting race. Yeah, and that's something I think Democrats are watching nervously because on the one hand, they that could you know bring people out. That could be exciting. On the other hand, it would suck up a lot of money and attention that Democrats would probably rather see, or some Democrats would rather see, go to congressional races, to the presidential race. Um, so it, it's either way. I mean, it's going to be a fascinating year because if Steve Garvey makes the top two, like there's another... We're going to we're going to be listening to <laughs> <laughs> more baseball metaphors yeah, baseball metaphors for another several months. Um, the other thing, just quickly, uh, is Proposition 1, the ballot measure to uh, spend $6.4 billion on bonds to build facilities for people with severe mental illness. Um, in that same poll, yes, 50 percent, no, 30 undecided. You could say that's good news for Prop 1, but we've seen the number in favor going down, Marisa. And, you know, as the pollster Mark DiCamillo said, I know you talked with him, undecideds often break heavily toward no. And so it would be a shock given the earlier polling if Proposition 1 were to go down. Yeah, he was pretty bullish on the fact that he thinks it still has a very good chance of passage. But I do think that those numbers are probably pretty sobering for the governor, who we talked to this week and is going to be out getting out the vote this weekend. Um, and I again, I think it just speaks to people not being very excited. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we'll see. We're going to be live on election night. So check us out after seven o'clock. Uh, we'll be here with uh, Austin Cross from uh, LAist. So come give a listen. All right, we're going to take a very short break. And when we come back, a San Francisco controversy over candidates and the Chinese names they choose for the local ballot. You're listening to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 
And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. And, you know, as San Francisco voters are looking at candidates listed on their ballots before Tuesday's election, they might notice not just their English name, like Adam Schiff or Barbara Lee, they might also see several Chinese letters signifying their Chinese names, kind of a signal to Chinese-speaking voters. Well, recently, the San Francisco Department of Elections began rejecting Chinese names unless the candidate could prove they've been using that name for many years. And the whole issue has stirred up kind of a hornet's nest within the Chinese community and the political world more generally. Reporter Han Lee has been covering this for the San Francisco Standard, and he joins me now. Hey, Han. Hi, Scott. Thanks for coming in. Um, well, first of all, just tell us a little bit about this tradition of using Chinese names on, I guess, on bilingual ballots primarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've been covering this for years because it's such a such a fascinating and unique San Francisco political phenomenon, I would say, right? Because for one thing, San Francisco ballots are automatically in both Chinese and English. So everybody will have a Chinese name, right? And the other thing is, of course, we all know San Francisco has a big Chinese community, Chinese-speaking community, right? So they are a very important voter uh, base. So um, gradually, uh, I think starting probably 20 years ago, um, Vice President Kamala Harris started this tradition. So, so when she was running for district attorney, yes, and then a lot of candidates think, you know, you know, you know, everybody should have a very nice Chinese name, right? Not just a transliteration-based long mouthful, you know, seven characters name, right? So a lot of political candidates started to follow that tradition. Now we see a lot of political candidates. They all have very fancy, authentic Chinese names. Yeah. So a couple things. One, you say it's a San Francisco tradition. So this doesn't happen, say, in Los Angeles? Um, I would think there might be some non-Chinese candidates still getting Chinese names, but not as robust like here. So like not just their a transliteration of their name, but something more is what we what has been happening here. Do you remember what Kamala Harris used when she ran for district attorney back in 2003? Yes, I think till now, Chinese press locally here, we still use that name to describe her. What is it in her, Chinese? Hao uh, Gamlai. It sounds not really like Kamala Harris, right? But it it's it's a really authentic Chinese name, means um, beautiful and um, um, congratulatory. So it's a very auspicious, nice Chinese name that, you know, people will remember and then call her that way, not just like Kamala Harris' transliteration-based name that will be pretty long and probably not something, you know, good for Chinese voter to remember you. Yeah. And, and so the intention uh, for candidates who choose these names is is what? To sort of suggest qualities that they have as a person and the kind of person they might be if they got elected? Yeah, so there might be a lot of reason why they want a Chinese name, right? So for one thing is, of course, for name recognition, which is so important for someone who wants to be elected, right? And there is a very robust Chinese media locally here, as you know, right? We have a lot of Chinese TV, Chinese newspaper, right? So if you have an official Chinese name, all those Chinese media will use that name when they mention you in the article, when they write about you. So when Chinese readers or audiences see the article or, you know, watch it on TV, right? They will see, oh, yeah, that's you. They match, that's you. And when they see on the ballot, which is also in Chinese, right? So they see that's you. So you will boost your name recognition. So that's very important. And the other thing is, yes, of course, somebody might want some very nice meaning of their name, right? Auspicious, virtual, power, tall, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. And, and so these are things that, like, who comes up with these names? Is it like political consultants? 
Yes, that's a really good question. So I've been trying to like find out who gave out this name, and people also reach out to me sometimes. Can you give me a Chinese name too? Right. So yes, there are you know I think political consultants or you know some some Chinese friends' parents they're giving out these names. And within the Chinese media, you know, where they're, they're like uh, you know newspapers or on television, radio, do they always use the same name, or do they sometimes use different names for the same person? Exactly. So, um, if a candidate they don't have an official Chinese name, yes, all the different Chinese media when they do the translation of the names, they might come up with different names. So you know, people might get confused. For example, like San Francisco Police Chief Bill Scott, right? He's not running for office, right? Because that's an appointed seat. So he has multiple different Chinese names on different Chinese media. So it's not really good for him to really have a name recognition, right? Because you know, people call him different. Different names. So, of course, um, if he ran for office, he might pick a yes, name. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. If he ran for office. Yeah. So recently, though, because uh, as you said, this has been happening since maybe two thousand three or even earlier. Kamala Harris kind of started it when she was running for DA. Now it's very common, and only recently did the Department of Elections start rejecting names because these candidates they file their papers including a Chinese name. So what changed? Like why now is the Department of Elections like saying no 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 you have to you can't use that name? Yes, so actually it's because of a state law and San Francisco Department of Elections started to adopt that state law. So what happened was a couple years ago State Assemblyman Evan Lowe authored that law basically require either you were born with the name Or you've been using it for two years, so you have to fulfill one of these requirements, and then you can use your self-chosen Chinese fancy name, even if it isn't like exactly a transliteration of your name. Yeah. So as long as you've been using it, as long as you've been using it or born with it, like a lot of Chinese American, right? American-born Chinese, they were born with a name, or immigrants like me, right? I'm born with my Chinese name. What's your Chinese name? Han Li, yeah, it's it's <laughs> yeah, that's that's a very that's the English version of it, though. Yeah, right? so it's it's more like a translated version. Yeah, um, yeah, that's my Chinese name. So, um, when the city's Department of Election adopted that state law, they have to you know ask the candidate, right? Okay, are you born with a name, or you've been using it for two years? So they started to like reject this candidate's name if they cannot really prove that. And I think in one of your articles, you said like something like twenty six candidates had their names rejected, yes. sent back. And did that come as kind of a surprise? Because I think the city was not always enforcing that law, right? Yes. So the city started to adopt this because of this one of the supervisor, Connie Chan. She's Chinese American. She started to look into this. It's like why don't why don't we adopt this law? And then. Basically, force the department to adopt this law.、Hmm. And so、uh, we have now a mayoral election this year, and I know that one of the people running was Daniel、uh, Lurie.、Uh, what kind of a name did he choose? So before, before the city's Department of Election adopted this law. It's like free for all, right? So everybody can pick a nice name, and Daniel Lurie also picked one. It's Law Sui Duck. It's like auspicious virtue, you know, very nice meaning, but. He's he's not Chinese, and then he may not have been using it for two years. So his chosen name will not be on the ballot, and also, you know, it's not going to help him. You know, how to say, 
it's not going to communicate to voters some some qualities about him. It's just going to be his name in sort of Chinese. Yeah, it would be a name that's widely he used on Chinese press or campaigning, but it's not going to be on the ballot. So it it might not match. So he decided to abandon his name because of the new law, hmm. the new requirement, right? And hmm. he just changed his name to a transliteration base. I know another right. name, uh, judge who's on the ballot, Michael Isaku Begert, um, had submitted a name which uh, means in part high and justice. And will he also have to now choose a different name? Yes, he also uh, was rejected to use that name on the ballot and he has to choose another one close to his English name's pronunciation. So how is all this going over in the Chinese community. I mean, what do people think this is a good thing because now it's going to be more authentic or do they kind of did they kind of like the old system? So it's very interesting. There are, there are some very um, divided opinions about this. Some people might think it's cultural appropriation, right? The other thing, it's like cultural appreciation because people want to have a Chinese name. So why don't they have Chinese name, right? So it's very divided right now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in terms of the more broadly the politics in the city right now, we're seeing a time when Asian Americans have become more engaged in politics. And, you know, you and I did some reporting together a few years ago on the school board recall call, for example, um, the Chinese community, also very Asian AAPI community involved in the recall of Chesa Boudin. So w- what's happening more broadly in, in the community right now in terms of the act- their activation in politics? Yeah, I do think um, for the past several years, we see a rise of political engagement or participation from the Asian community, as, we, as you mentioned, all the recalls, right? Um, I do think, you know, it's been two years, San Francisco voter hasn't hasn't been voting yet. So maybe everybody wants to vote. Everybody wants to, you know, express their political beliefs and so does Asian American community. And no matter it's this March election or November, right? So there, you know, it's it would be interesting to see if there is a rise of Asian Americans' political activism. And, I remember in the school board recall, uh, one of the big issues activating the Chinese community was a change in admission policy at Lowell High School, Mm -hmm. which they felt the change disadvantaged uh, Chinese-American students. Is there something similar uh, happening now, do you think, with regard to, say, the mayor's office, the mayor's election? I would say still education and public safety are still two of the top priorities in the community and especially public safety right now, crime. That's basically the talking point of everybody, every political candidate, every ballot measure right now, right? So yes, I would say um, public safety concern on crime still are, are driving the community to be more politically active right now. Yeah. There was a, a Chronicle poll last week that got released that showed that among all the different segments of the voters in San Francisco, that it was the Chinese-American community, Asian-American community more broadly, that had the lowest opinion of the mayor. Um, do you think that that is very much about what you're talking about, the public safety issues and maybe homeless issues as well? Yeah, I think... Um Mayor Breed got a lot of support when she ran for office and won the mayor's race in 2018, right? And, you know, it's six years later right now. We see the city's, like, um, not in good shape, right? We have a lot of image crisis right now, the lawlessness and the crime out of control. Yes, I do think a lot of Asian-American voters might lose their confidence in the mayor. But still, you know, it's seven months, how, how long, like 10 months to the election, right? So things might change. 
You know, there was a time when uh, there were many Chinese-American uh, elected officials in San Francisco. Ed Lee, of course, was mayor. He died. Gordon Marr was on the Board of Supervisors. He lost re-election. Uh, Eric Marr, also uh, on the board. Connie Chan is on the board. Now the only Asian-American currently on the board is being challenged. Um, how is the community responding to that, both both you know, the potential for there not being any Chinese Americans on the board of soups, which would be, I can't remember the last time that was the case. Mm -hmm. uh, and then also the loss of the leadership of people like Ed Lee, who died, Rose Pack, also a person mm -hmm. very powerful in the Chinese community who died. Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, point. So um, 10 years ago, we have a Chinese mayor who have like four or five Chinese supervisors, right? But now, you know, we only have one Chinese American supervisor on the board. So yes, there is a drastic decline of Chinese representation in politics. But another major political narrative here is a lot of Chinese voters are becoming a little bit more sophisticated than before because they might use to vote for race rather than their policy ideas or you know political ideology. So before they might vote for, okay, I would support whoever Chinese running for office, right? But now they might vote for they yeah, might have the same for, ideas that yes. they have, or that they have the same priorities. Why do you think that changed? Um, I think a lot of the political narrative is like a lot of progressive Chinese American uh, elected officials are not really being aligned with Chinese values on education and public safety. So that basically trigger a lot of um, pushback, and that's why people are saying, you know, Gordon Moore lost. Her, Gordon Moore lost his seat at a traditional heavily Asian district. To Joel Engardio, who is white. Yes. Yeah. So uh, just a, a few seconds left. Uh, we have an election coming up uh, next Tuesday. What are you looking for? What are the things that are on the ballot that, you know, you're really going to be paying close attention to? Um, I think there's a lot of Asian-American candidates running for DCCC who will... DCCC, we should say, is the Democratic Central Committee, which has a lot of power in terms yes. of endorsing candidates and you know, making policy with regard to the to the party in San Francisco. Yes, so DCCC has a lot of influence in local politics, and also some of the ballot measures are also related to crime, public safety, police, right? So maybe Asian-American will have a lot of say. And there is a whole slate of candidates that is endorsed uh, by a more moderate to conservative group of folks, and many of them are, are not necessarily from the Asian-American community. Yeah, and there's one ballot measure is about bring back algebra. So we'll see how that play out in our community. <laughs> okay. Han Lee with the San Francisco Standard. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, Scott. And that is a wrap for Friday, March 1st. Political Breakdown is a production of KQED. Our engineer is Seal Muller. Our producer is Izzy Bloom. Our team includes Marisa Lagos, Guy Marzarati, Molly Solomon, Otis R. Taylor Jr., and Ethan Tobin Lindsay. I'm Scott Schaefer. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.